Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. Oh, I thought I was still being quiet. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When I say welcome back to the ladies' room, then you don't be quiet anymore. You talk. I engage. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot the rules. You don't sit creepy in the stall where I can see your feet. (laughs) But you're not dangling. I know know you're in there. I mean, your feet reach all the way to the floor, right? I know you're short, but... Sometimes they do. It really honestly depends on how tall the toilet is. Yeah, well... So we've pulled back the curtain. Allie's a tiny little person. At least very short. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'm not even sure. We're doing kind of, this isn't really a one-off because we're still going to have a conversation about something that can be very toxic. But it's also a very personal, very intense situation that's happening this moment while we're recording this. So I kind of want to give you the lead mostly, but how much of this do we want to create um, before we yeah, really start talking about I think about we're it? just going to jump in to, so, I mean, yeah, I think Lynn and I talked quite a bit ahead of the podcast recording about if we wanted to record this and, and what the value was. So the context is my um, 14 year old daughter is missing. She ran from, a group home that she had been at for, I don't know, nine days, 10 days, um, on Saturday evening and she's in the wind and yeah, it's currently Wednesday. It's Wednesday, right. She's been missing for, you know, more for more than four days at this point. And we're super worried about her and we have been going through, you know, everything that you can find to do in the situation. And, it's a really difficult thing to be going through, of course, but I think one of the things that's sometimes really valuable that happens in Lynn and I's friendship for sure is that we're really, really authentic and sometimes being willing to be really honest about what's happening or um, our experiences with things allow other people to find themselves, find something valuable and you know, we record these, uh, you know, every week pretty much. And it felt weird to do what we had planned this week and not talk about this. So we're going right. to talk about a little bit of my parenting experience and for sure some of the things Lynn's had to walk through beside me um, over the years as I've parented. And then really the bigger context is how do you be with someone um, in the middle of something really, really difficult? Right. Yeah. And, and hopefully no one listening to this will ever have the really, really difficult thing that they're going through or walking through with someone being a missing child. Right. But life is full of that hard stuff. Life is full of, you know, miscarriages and parents dying and injuries and cancer diagnosis and all those things. Um, And as a society, we don't really do a super great job being with each other in those moments. Yeah, I for sure agree. And we also, if you're listening to this, like we will share in the podcast information, um, the link to her picture from the police department. And, you know, if you know people who live in 
the Montana area, please share it. Please, you know, look at it. Um, that's been the thing that the Center for Exploited and Missing Kids and the local police are telling us is the most valuable thing we can ask people to do. And as soon as she's found, we'll change the link. So if you're looking at this, you'll know when you're seeing the podcast, if she's been found or not immediately. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this in the future, um, be sure to check the notes and see what's going on. Um, but as of right now, as of when this is published, she is missing. Um, and she's been missing, what is it? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, almost four full days. Yeah. Cause she left Saturday night. So she's been gone four nights uh, already. And we're, so she's been gone for four full days for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Not that this is a light topic, but right. Yeah. I there's will not say laughing. <laughs> right. Although we'll probably, I mean, we'll have to amuse ourselves with some entertaining stories along the way, but the reality is it's just life. And I've been through, what's interesting is like, we have been through, I think as a parent, the road I've walked with my kids has been one of the hardest I've, I've heard from, from anybody. Like you can make a TV movie about my life and my parenting stories. Um, and parents go through really, really intense, difficult things. And this is the hardest, most, this is the most terrifying thing that I have ever been through. And I've spent years, like very literally trying to protect her from this very thing happening. And so we wanted to just share because some of what happens to you when you're going through something hard is you lose often in your close relationships, some of your humanity and some of I don't, I mean, some of your goodness, right? Like when my, when I was a foster parent and whenever my kids were being like very good, like I'm everybody's hero, but when the kid, which is also kind of BS, but, yeah, that's BS too. but when it's really hard and I have kids that are super struggling, then I'm, it's really hard for people to be with and it's hard for me to be with, but I think that that's Say the more. magic. Go ahead. I mean, say more, you just said you lose some of your goodness and I don't even know what that means. Like in reality, in people's listening of you, like, what does that even mean? I don't, cause I don't think I agree that this makes you less good. I, I don't think that's what you meant. But inside, so inside of the like way that you normally experience yourself in your closest relationships and in the way that people listen to you and perceive you, um, you know, when you take your kid to therapy and you're the foster parent, they listen to you one, you know, I was listened to in one way. Um, and years later after I've adopted my kids and, you know, I'm taking this kid out to therapy, like I'm listened to in a completely different way. Like just even the kinds of questions the police rightfully have to ask. I'm like, I'm not the kind of parent that gets asked these kinds of questions. Like these questions are horrifying and they have to ask them. I'm not making the police wrong, but inside of, um, the way that it's super hard to be with, you lose some of not my personal goodness, but some of often like the richness or the, the way that people listen to you or think of you as a parent with a child who's struggling. Um, it can be really, really like terribly isolating in addition to the pain and difficulty it is to actually go through with your kid. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you were t- I just wanted to be really clear because I didn't think you meant that it was <laughs> yeah. creating your goodness in any way. But um, we were talking about this, gosh, even before 
because we need to tell a little bit more about the background because this this didn't come out of nowhere and this is something you've actually been not dreading really but worried about for a long time that this specific scenario that she would that she would run away um or put herself in a in such a dangerous situation that she would disappear like that's been the real right right yeah right yeah um we were talking before even she ran this time about um that when you were a foster parent, you were listened to as part of the solution. And then once you adopted her and became her parent, it shifted to you're part of the problem. <laughs> you're part of how, how we ended up here, right? Would you say that's fair? Like not, not in reality, but in the listening. Of For sure of in the professional, professional community. Um, you know, like right. we were foster parents of the year, you know, like we were like really well respected for the role that we played in kids' lives. And then when the child is later struggling or even the family is later struggling to be really honest, then all of a sudden anything that's happening, like I stopped being a resource and started being something to be managed so frequently in interactions with therapists or professionals or law enforcement or the court system or any of the amazing things that have become fairly regularly parts of my life over the last couple of years that, um, it's shocking. And it's really, I mean, it isn't everyone, right? Like we have this amazing therapist that's worked with Josie and our family since she first came into foster care with us. And, you know, she was in our house yesterday. Like, what can we do? Like, what can we think of? What, how do I be here with you? Um, doing some tapping with me, like just loving us. Right. Like she didn't have to come to our house. She didn't, you know, like, just the kind of human being that she's been for us. She's always listened to us how we are, but the new people that come into our life are more inclined to listen to us. It's not entirely unfair, right? A vast majority of kids who are in the probation system or who are in the mental health care system is a result often of stuff that didn't get dealt with in childhood. Not always, but it's not uncommon. And so looking at the family unit and how to fix it isn't unheard of. But what's challenging is that because they're starting there, it's like this huge obstacle where sometimes I'll spend a really long time trying to overcome like, hey, I'm on this kid's team. Like I always have been. I didn't like do something bad to her that caused this. Like I am going to show up to everything because I heard, right. Yeah. I mean, it's so to, I I don't know, to set some context, not even context, but just give another example of this, like, um, my template listening story. Remember my template listening story? This isn't about this, but like the way we listen to each other, um, like taking my iPhone in to be fixed and, I have a technical background and I said to the person all the right technical things. I did this, I did this, I upgraded the firmware, I flashed this, all the technical things. And he just kept saying, you know, essentially like, have you checked, have you did you turn your, your phone off and, you know, on? Turn <laughs> right. It on and off? Right. And I, I finally said to him, like, look at, stop looking at my face, which is a middle-aged <laughs> suburban mom and listen to the words coming out of my mouth. And to his credit, he actually even said, oh, I apologize, I was template listening to you. Um, And that's what's been happening to you is the template listening. Like everyone has this preconceived notion, not everyone, uh, there's this preconceived notion. And we all do this, right? And and in a way it's not a bad strategy. Because like you were saying, right? 
you know, most people who come into the Apple store with my kids <laughs> <laughs> um, probably don't know what they're doing with computers, right? It's, make a comment like that. But, um, but he wasn't willing to listen to what I was saying with right. my mouth. Um, and that's a lot of what I'm not comparing the two, obviously, but it's, it's an example right. of there's a template listening of parents, of kids who are in these crisis situations that, that at the best they're, they're like incompetent or over their head or don't really know what's happening. Not even if they're not part of the cause or right. whatever. That I have a great, I have a great th example. That they're not. So we, we, one of the things we had for the family earlier that last year was um, what they call in-home services. And the person who happened to be assigned to us was a behaviorist, which is ideally pretty fantastic for most families in crisis the way ours was. The problem is like, I could have probably gotten a degree as a behaviorist, like multiple times over with the experience I have with kids in crisis and all of the different things I've studied over the years and all that stuff. So it took really, really like months for this, this um, behaviorist specialist to go, oh, I don't need to give you like a parenting chart and have everybody agree on behavior. Like you guys have already done all that work, but it was like the default where so many times I almost had to like shake her and be like, I'm not that mom. We already have a checklist. We have clear expectations. This is not what's not working here. Um, and that's right. a great yeah, example. What's, my, skills, my skills are not what's missing. Right. And not that I'm not open, right? Like I've gotten tons of great coaching and things on parenting. And so it, sometimes it creates this resistance to like, I'm not the problem here. Please listen. Um, don't try to fix yeah. like the fact that we don't need a checklist, but that kind of template of where they're listening from is sometimes difficult to overcome. And then there's like a second piece, which is really shittier and yuckier. Um, even though that is awful, really, really genuinely awful. Um, the worst is that a lot of times, especially as moms, and especially, I hate to really say this again, but like as Christian white women, there's this listening, right. there's this kind of experience that I've had. And I used to be like this, so God forgive me. Um, but that's like, if there's like the way we listen to each other, whenever something's bad is something bad is happening, like, okay, if you got your kids stolen, um, you did something wrong. And if you wouldn't have done X, that wouldn't have happened to you. And so it's like this listening from fear to make sure we're not going to go through whatever the bad experience is. Like, well, so-and-so has right. cancer, but at least, but I don't let my kid be red dye. So that will never happen to us. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's layers of it too, because you were just saying like, if you got your kid taken, right. you must've done something wrong, but there's like, com there's compartments, right? So if you got your kid taken, um, then it must be that you're not, maybe you were careless, but also maybe you just weren't walking with the Lord or you're being tested in some specific way. Um, that's like a, a hard place to assign blame unless maybe right. you weren't watching them and, uh, as much as people think you should. But then, but even more is when something happens that quote should be preventable, right. then for sure you screwed it up and you're a bad mom because your child ran away and I'm not a bad mom. I'm a great mom. Therefore I never have to worry yeah. about my child running away. Like that's, but there's levels of it, right? All the way from, you know, maybe you're just being punished by the Lord for something bad you did like yeah. Job's comforters, right? 
Like, what'd you do to deserve this? No, it's really fantastic. And a lot Um, of it is cultural, in my opinion, because in the U.S., everything, we have a super litigious society, which is why everyone should get the opportunity to spend some time outside of it. There is always someone to blame. And that, that shows up in our conversations. Like, I was in Italy, gosh, too long ago now, a few years ago, a couple years ago, when I was going through some really, really hard stuff. And with the kids and no one in Italy ever went, what the hell did you do wrong? There was a lot of like, well, yeah, these are adopted kids. They're, they're always going to be challenging. Like, didn't you know that? But there wasn't any, like, you must have done something bad to have this happening to you. And in all fairness, like I have amazing circle of really brilliant and amazing friends, but inside my inner circle I had a lot of really horrible things said to me and a lot of friendships that disappeared overnight when things got really difficult and there's that so that there's like the template listening and then there's the listening for I'm not like you this would never happen to me because and just this like preventative you know distancing from hard hard stuff and like that is really damaging and that was the really that was some of the hardest stuff for me to be with and I will say nobody has said that to me in this current situation but I do I have wondered like what if Josie had taken off from our house instead of from a group home like would I be to blame like would that would those conversations be different and I think a lot of them would have been different well and I think you said no one's saying it but I'm willing to wager there's people right. thinking it, right? Whether they know you or not, right? It's being shared on Facebook a lot right now. I'm sure there's people, what horrible parents those must be. And that that, um, that that's, that is the listening, right? Like even some of the conversations I've been hearing right. about this kind of thing, it's like, oh, that poor kid. <laughs> right. Um, of course. And of course, like she's in danger, right? And we're very worried about her. I'm very worried about her. Um and also she's choosing some of this, right? So it's not just that poor kid, right? There's definitely like some responsibility and culpability on her too. Right. She's um, missing and she's unsafe and, it's more and she walked out of a safe place. And the fact that she can't keep herself safe right. and that the adults in her life have struggled to keep her safe is the bigger picture. But it does that isn't the normal parenting experience. Like Lynn and I were joking earlier today, like she tells stories about her parenting and I a lot of times I laugh because I can't even resonate because my parenting stories are like, um, you know, like sleeping on the floor of my kid's room for night after night after night for, you know, a cumulative year because she was too afraid to go to sleep and never slept before midnight for over a year and a half. Um, You know, there are the stories of like, we used to joke that we were having an exorcism whenever we had to have quiet time because Josie would pull down her curtains and like wig out and like, um, because she couldn't be by herself or isolated at all. Right. Or like also thought she could control it. Right. Um, and we had to give her structure and it was really, really, those are like hard and sometimes really funny stories, but most parents don't tell like stories about their kids electrocuting themselves like three times before they learn not to. And those are kind of my like sweet parenting stories because I'm, par- I'm parenting a kid that's really hard. Well, and I'll, I'm going to give you a true confession here for a second. I did shock myself once as a kid. <laughs> right. Took one time. Right. Um, 
my dad told me, <laughs> my dad lived in, like, when my parents first split, my dad lived in this complete shithole. Like, I didn't realize as a kid it was a shithole, but I assure you it was a shithole. And we were taking, um, we were taking our bath or whatever, and he said, oh, by the way, don't touch the faucet and the light switch at the same time because you'll get a shock. And he shut the door and, like, ah, immediately screaming me <laughs> because my sister's like, do it. Um, and I did. And he's like, why did you do it? Like, I was curious, but it only <laughs> right, took right. one time, right? That's right. <laughs> those are funny stories, but um, most of us don't have yeah. to repeat them. And, and those are just like, you know, stories from when she was young. But I think there's also like so much advice, right? Like there's a lot of bad, like people who are like, don't say it like this. Like when I shared on my social media, like the pictures of her missing from the police department and Helena, like somebody said, don't to me like who's close to me don't say I hope you'll reconsider saying that she's stepped down from residential care into a group home and I'm like everybody that knows me that knows my kid knows she's been in residential care for the last nine months like it would be they would be like why is, that would be the first question so of course I'm going to share that and right it, yeah. but it's like Where's... well somebody might think about it like this or like that and I'm like you can't I promise you if your kid's missing you can't do anything right or sick or there's nothing to do right. You're surviving it. And that like well-intentioned advice is, is like kind of maddening. And even that is coming from what we were talking about a minute ago of the, um, this, this couldn't happen to me because blah, blah, blah. Like that, that way of thinking about it is fueled anywhere from fear to shame to superiority. Any like from the most benign place being fear and the most, you know, non-benign, malevolent place being like superiority and nastiness. But like that concern was about looking bad, right? Like she's going to look bad. The family's going to look bad. Like where does, and that's inside the story right. of there's something to be ashamed of here because that means True. someone. And I don't have a world right? like, where there's a 14 if there's year old no girl missing no and we don't know where she is, that the community shouldn't be alarmed. Whether she's hiding under a rock or like somebody grabbed her, like there's not any world where it's not total alarm for me so like my world like it wasn't a concern like some of those things were like I'm not coming from this place but there's so much to be I mean my husband was like afraid to post a picture of his birthday party or like to to go out to lunch with a friend who invited us out to lunch because there's this whole fear of like what will people think and it's like I don't know do they know I was up till four in the morning like terrified and praying and crying do they know crying that like this right. is the same man who like all I have to do is tap him on the shoulder in the middle of the night and say will you pray with me and he'll get on his knees and pray with me like there's or hold me or talk to me or whatever it is like if you it's that feeling of like there's nothing right to do but there's a lot of wrong things to do and it's in people's right. view, but in I mean, then we have, view. then we take, like, he's taken that on, right? Like, he's afraid of being seen as doing the wrong, you know, the wrong thing. Like, what if we go to my brother's and have dinner with them? Like, will that look like we're partying? Like, I mean, it's just all this um, fear of, like, how do we make sure people know that we're taking this seriously? Or, I mean, I'm laughing at that because, like, really? <laughs> I mean, but there's, right. Right. How else do you take it? Yeah. And you have to still live, right? You know, you, you have to eat and you need your community. But yeah, it, I think it is because the 2.30 a.m. 
holding you for an hour while you cry doesn't make it on social media, right? You're <laughs> right. not going to live stream that. Let me tell you how that. hot my right. husband is. All you know, I have Ali to do is tap him Facebook. on the shoulder and he's on his knees with me. Like, I mean, that's the stuff that, you know, doesn't get shared very broadly, of course. And, you know, is usually lost by whatever the next thing is. And so I, um, I think that the bigger, so yeah, those, I mean, like how we have to be inside of these and how people should be with us. I think this really came to a head in my life a couple of years ago. So I'm going to give like a mini context, like for people who don't know me listening to this, Joe's came into our life when she was just turned three, she was pulled by foster care because they had a cheaper place to put her and she bounced multiple times in a couple months. And then they asked us if we would take her back. Um, which was like a huge exception because therapeutic foster parents couldn't have more than one kid at a time, but we had already taken my oldest daughter and we're like, we're not trading. (laughs) And so we had these two girls and it it was tough, right? Like everybody was mom. She had been very badly neglected and abused and early neglect, early sexual trauma. Like, I mean, she had been through really, really hard stuff. And so parents really hard. But right, like, yeah, I mean, she's been through stuff that most adults would never dream, like the kind of trauma she had by the time she was three is orders of magnitude through right. than what, what most adults would ever have to deal with, like the level right. of For sure. just physical abuse. And then, you know, I mean, we did therapy twice a week and occupational therapy. And like, I mean, it was like a part time job just navigating all the treatment that just this one of my kids got. But she she bonded and she made progress. And we, by the time she was like six and a half or seven, like an adopted, like she, we didn't need to be in regular therapy anymore. And we had a long, what felt like a long stretch where things were like, not ever super easy, but like, okay. And like pretty normal for, especially given, right. Like our daughters used to, we would all get, Lynn and I would get together and our daughters are just a year apart and they would, chat like little old ladies who had been best friends their whole lives and we used to just laugh like they were little mere images yeah. of us and now they yeah. can't be the magic dresses yeah. and they have that Lynn made. dresses and went to they yeah. went, they went to camp together um yeah. like to sleep away camp and today you know they couldn't be like the kids couldn't even be on the phone together like we they wouldn't be especially safe for Lynn's daughter to be in contact with my daughter and so you know, you go from like, those are huge losses, not just for like the loss for Joe's is horrible. And she doesn't even really know most of those losses, but the loss for family. Right. And the loss for Riley is nothing true. The loss to Riley is not nothing either. Right. She still prays for her. And it's, you know, it's, of course, I'm not trying to compare. It happens to everybody. Right. She's sad. Right. This is her friend. Right. Like, I mean, we used to do these little videos um, for, uh, this is silly, but just to set like how close they were. Um, we used to do these little videos from Santa Claus. You know, they would like, if, if, if you have anybody listening, she's still <laughs> a true believer, turn it off for a second. But um, Santa would send her a little video, right? Like, oh, Riley, I'm, I'm thinking about you, you know, and he would go to the bookshelf <laughs> and pick off the wall, her book to look at her year. And then you always picked like the people whose books Mm. would be next to her you know who are the little people in the books next to her like where where is she on the shelf and um Josie was one of her shelf book friends for years no they had a friendship for years right it would be like cousins who couldn't be with each other anymore I mean 
Yeah, cousins and cousins who saw yeah. each other relatively infrequently but loved each other and and they would just click right in and get into you know, get into mischief like normal yeah. mischief, not horrible. You know, we were chasing <laughs> after them while they lit the world on fire. Like they were just like, Oh, you guys drank more normal stuff than we yeah. said was allowed. Yeah, like that kind sure. of just silly little nonsense. Um and then yeah. when Joe's hit puberty, she we knew, right? I mean, any parent who's got a kid who's had early sexual trauma, like when they hit puberty, you know, you could just, re- you just know it's coming. Um, but we went through just hard in a way that we never saw coming. And I never had an experience where I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can keep this, my kids safe. Like, and all, I mean, it was just alarming. And then you did such a beautiful thing for me at one point because you contextualized, like some parents have to worry about, is their kid safe? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you recreate that? Some people have to worry right. about is the family safe? Um, and some people have to worry about I, is the community safe? But like, we have all of that at once. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> you have them all simultaneously. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered because some sometimes inside my intuition and stuff, I get <laughs> there something you go. and I hand it I off and then it's gone. Like, sure. it's yours now. I don't remember saying that. It, and it's not because it wasn't, it's not because it yeah. wasn't important. It was because I kind of channeled it. Um. But yeah, I mean, you have all dimensions of it, right? Like, and I would say most parents have to worry about one of those three things. You know, is the child safe? Is the family, not usually to a high degree. Most of us worry about if the kid is safe. We mostly just hang around there, right? How do I keep my kids safe from the usual variety of stuff? But you even have extra texture there because how do I keep my kid safe when she doesn't care about being safe? Um, You know, like I have a child with, who's so so present to being it's safe on, that she's not good, right. um, which is its own thing. But yeah, you, yeah, also not great. Um, you have, well, you said it, but I'm just recreating what you just said. You worry about her safety. You worry about the safety of the people around her and then also how she's going to function in society. And you have to worry about them all simultaneously. Like we talked about even inside this current crisis where she's gone and you're incredibly, we are incredibly worried about her safety we're also right. worried about the safety of the people around her, right? Because For sure. she doesn't make the greatest decisions. It's a lot to juggle at um, once and you, and it's, that's very, a lot. it's super isolating. And I mean, we had, when Joe stepped down from residential care last time and into our home, like we literally moved back to the state where we adopted her because we thought that was the best, the best situation we could find. Um, and we had four adults living in the house, myself, my husband, and two grandmas, the biological grandma and my mom, because it took that many parents to try to keep this kid safe. And we still couldn't, right? Um, yeah, you still couldn't. She said, and with other um, right. like right. physical modifications to the home the community. and um, tremendous involvement. And also yeah. you're, you have people in your community. Yeah. Who, you know, you have extra support that most people don't have. I mean, you basically created, I, I, I don't think anything like that has ever been created. I mean, probably it's been created somewhere, but the amount of structure and safety you created in your home was right. just like crazy. And that was for one kid. And even still, so you couldn't keep her safe. safe. Right. Oh. And, and so also it's so, so I want to go like a little, like a, co- a couple mm-hmm. years before that, or a year and a half maybe before that. We, But we were in, so... Joe's had like, mind you, like I have kids that have traveled the world. Like Joe's had probably spent, you know, a year 
accumulatively from between the time she was like six and 10 in Italy. So it's kind of like saying we were in Florida, you know, like, but Joe's, Joe's had, um, you know, we, we had incredible drama going on, which is not the point, but she was escalated into residential care. She had made some really serious accusations against me that were investigated. So I wasn't allowed to see her. Um, not even supervised, like I wasn't allowed to see her at all. And she was denying supervision. Um, and the experts were trying to figure out from down and I was destroyed. Like, I mean, it, it was hell. Like it was like literally living through hell. Like it was like a death in some ways, the death would have been easier than that experience. And I went to Italy. (laughs) Like I went, like I said, like going to Florida, right? Like I went to Italy for a few, for you, I ran, right? Lynn's like, you ran, ran to be safe. It's you true. Ran. I mean, I don't, ran, ran makes it sound like you ran away. I mean, like you fled, but you ran like the way you run from a bear. It was the first time in my life I've never not been okay. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it other than I was like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Like I was, it was awful. And one of the three women in my inner circle said to me like really judgmentally that they wouldn't have, they wouldn't do what I was doing. Like essentially like I would never have left in this situation. And mind you, I couldn't see her. There's nothing to actually do. Um, And you know, that was our lifestyle already. We had community in both places, all that stuff. But um, those are the conversations, right? Like the closest people are like, you're a crappy parent. Um, and like, this is what's happening to you because you're a bad parent. And Lynn was like, walked really, really well with me through that. But what's hard is like, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the friendship that we have. And if you hadn't helped me tease out like some of those things. And then Lynn helped me like discern like, yeah. And she wouldn't have adopted these kids to start with. Like it's so easy to judge. Right. And I was like, yeah, that's really helpful. I'm not a saint. And I'll tell you that I often don't know the right thing to do. I wouldn't have adopted kids with this many problems either. Like, I'm just being really honest. I wouldn't have taken it on. Um, For sure. I mean, I've watched John counsel people to really think very, very hard about adoption in a way that he never would have prior to this because you don't know what you don't know. And it doesn't mean I would go back. It doesn't mean I wish I wasn't her mom, that I would unadopt her or anything else. It just means like there's a cost that might be paid that you could never even imagine. And it's a fair conversation for, I mean, it's certainly one that nobody had with us, but I think when people are asking his advice, he's very frank. Right. And also if you haven't paid that cost, um, then maybe you should shut up (laughs) about (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, I mean, as much as I'm against telling people to shut up, maybe that's a place to just shut up. Like, if you don't know, then shut the fuck up. And I'm, I don't really give a fuck what most people think, right? Like, I'm kind of, I mean, that's one of my, you know, I mean, I don't care what people think because I know who God says I am. That's pretty much how I live. But if you're in my inner circle, like, your voice is really precious. And one of the things that, happened was a lot of people left my like not a lot but a lot of like for me I mean I have like right three people in my inner circle like it felt like a lot but I had a lot of people who really pulled away 
because yeah. they couldn't be with the hard. Yeah. And Lynn told me the story of what happens to parents who lose a child. And that was like super helpful. So I wish you would tell that. What, that. About that they often get divorced, do you mean? No, not the divorce, but just oh, like, like how, how people, people can be there. with it. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, this is anything hard, right? And I'll, uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell a bad story about myself, too, because I don't want anyone to think I'm an, an amazing saint in this space, <laughs> right? But um, we have this way of walk. Well, let me tell the story first, and then that'll give some context. Yeah. So um, my mom died of breast cancer when she was in her late 40s, like basically a little bit younger than I am right now. She died when I was in my 20s. She was in her 40s. And that was really hard. But at, but at your age, you have a 12-year-old child. Right, right. At my age. Well, and the story I'm about, At the age your mom died, she was even younger. Yeah, when my mom died, she was a grandma already. She had three grandbabies, which, I mean, that didn't make it easier, but her, her children were grown. Um, and a few years ago, so that happened 20-some years ago. Um, but several years ago, I, you know, I was living in Tucson newly, and I had at the time a preschooler. She might have been a little bit older than that. And I had a new friend who had um, some children a little older than Riley and one Riley's age. And we were just starting to be um, friends. Um, and then she got a breast cancer diagnosis, someone my age with children my age. And I kind of ghosted her. Um, and I, I went to her later, you know, and to apologize. Um, and I said, I'm so sorry. And I'm, I'm not... I'm not justifying myself. Like it was a shitty thing to do. And I told her, I said, I just couldn't be with it. I just couldn't like, I couldn't be with a mom, my age with children, my age with breast cancer, having my mom died of breast cancer. I just couldn't touch it. Like it was too, it was too hot. It was too raw. Um, and I did apologize to her later. I was like, I'm sorry. That was a really shitty thing. And I couldn't and we weren't the closest. Again, I'm not justifying myself, but I wasn't in her inner circle. She was a new friend. Um, I didn't leave her high and dry. Like she had plenty of support. I wasn't in it. No, it would be different if like, like that happened today. At right. In our friendship. Or my but sister. still, but it was, a, it's a fair, yeah, example. it was a shitty thing to do. And it wasn't because I didn't like her or it was just because I can't, this is too intense. I can't touch the intensity of this. And I think when, when you and because the experience touched me too 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 close right it Personally. was too it was too yeah. close like i have a mother i i have multiple female relatives with who have had breast cancer so like i have a little bit of a bullseye on me not terrible but a little bit of one and so being with someone and and like having to face like what happens if she dies and her children don't have a mom i couldn't be with it i just i just straight could not be with it um yeah. And I, and so that happens like, so take that, which was intensely personal for me because of my personal history and then expand it out to a parent loses a child and then every parent around them can't touch that, that right. heat. They can't touch. It's not even hot. It's like more like white cold, right? Like the, like the right. kind of cold that burns, like you just can't, you're afraid that if you get close to it, that you're going to be you know, you lose your fingers to frostbite, like you just can't touch it. And that happens a ton of times to a parent who loses a child where their community just evaporates. And it's not because the people in it are jerks. I mean, what I did to her was a shitty thing, but it wasn't because I was a jerk, like, oh, what a drag to have a friend with breast cancer. Like it, it wasn't coming from that. <laughs> I mean, there's right. those people too, right? Um, but that it was coming from like, I can't get near this without dying 
you know, is what is how it occurred. And so right. when something really hard is happening, God forbid you lose a child, a lot of the parents in the community, they just can't be near that pain. They just can't, like, if I touch this, it'll burn me and I'll die. Um, Which is far better than you're to blame that this happened to you. Well, but still really, really hard. It sometimes goes hand in hand, right? Like that, I was saying that, that like trying to find out, trying to find a way that this won't happen to you. Like what is true of this person? What label do they have that I don't have that will protect me? That fear, that white, that white cold fear is one of the motivators for that behavior. So they're not exclusive. Um, in fact, they often go together. Like her child died, her child drowned in the swimming pool, but I always watch my children around the swimming pool. So that will never happen to me. <laughs> right. And right. that's, and it's a natural human reaction. Like you can have some compassion for it. And my friend was very gracious when I apologized to her. Um, but I just like, I couldn't, I just couldn't cope with it. And that happened, you know, and that, uh, that's happened a lot for your community, I think too, is because um, Josie is not the only one of your kids where you've had some really hard spaces to walk through. I mean, even even your one son with his injury, right? Like that's the kind of white white cold um, that people walk away from. Like that would I don't I'm speaking around it because I don't know if you want to talk about that conversation either. But um, you know, he yeah. I mean, I think it's fine, right? Like my one son was attacked by our neighbor's dog and bit through his eye while they yeah. were playing at his house yeah, and at the, easily, this neighbor's house. Yeah. Easily. It could have easily. Right. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was terrifying. And he thought he was going to die. And again, this child was adopted and early childhood trauma layered on top of more trauma. Mm-hmm. And he changed overnight. I mean, his handwriting changed. Yep. Um, it was incredibly, incredibly difficult in addition to the physical injury and the surgery and all surgeries and all that stuff, but, um, really, really hard and hard for people to, you know, it's just hard for people to be with, like, you know, they don't know how to respond. And I think that it's a valuable conversation because we all feel like that. Like I'm in the middle of what's happening to me right now. And I don't know what the fuck to do. So do I expect my community to like, Lynn was like, about five times today. It's really funny because she's being really careful with me, which she never is. It's, right, it's almost, mean, it's amazing. Mean and abusive. <laughs> but I mean, not like, but, but even when we were talking about this, she's like, let's be fair. Like, I didn't even know what to do. I'm like, I know, but I, you, you did it. You were still just present, right? Like, I'm not going to call in the morning because I know you're trying, you are waiting, you know, you have to sleep with a phone by your bed in case you get a phone call that she's, found or whatever is happening and like all those things like you can take it on but like there's still this remaining and so I kind of want to give some practical advice now I am not an expert at this but Lynn's brought a concept into my life that's super helpful and then I have a piece of just advice like one is the more don't not ask somebody what can we do because if they're in the after a crisis for sure like Call me in a week. Call me in when this crisis is over. And I can, I'm really good at bossing people around as Lynn likes to remind everybody. Like I can totally orchestrate you, but in the middle of a crisis, like I can barely figure out what to do. So look at what you have to bring and what you want to contribute and offer that. So say, how can I pray for you today? Like, you know, or is there anything specific you're praying for today? Or 
um, can I take you out to lunch? Can I bring lunch? Like the more specific right. can I on come Friday. A load of laundry for you. Can I take a load of right. laundry from your house to my house? And we say crisis. It doesn't have to be a child running away. It could be a new baby or a death in the family or like divorce or a really bad fight, right? I mean, normal stuff that we all go through all the time. The natural reaction is like, just let me know if I can help you. Um, and that's, that's like, the worst. Well, that's not helpful. Like, I want to give you whatever you want. Okay, but I don't even know what I want. Like, make a suggestion and then I can say, no, I don't want that. Right. Can you magically make my kid show up and somebody see her and call the police? Like, that's what I really want right now. So other than that, like, if you can tell me how to stare into a black hole and know that it's probably going to spit something out, but might not ever spit anything out, and that whatever's going to get spit out is some kind of horrible thing that there's no idea how to deal with, like, give me that. Because I was already in, I mean, do you have that advice? Because I was already in that before she ran and before she's been missing for four days. Like, other, but nobody has those answers, right? And I don't expect other people to, but for people, like, it sounds silly even saying it, but we all do it. Like, just let me know. Right. Like what I, you know, and that, so that's the best advice I can have. Like tell somebody you're there, but don't like, you know, don't disappear. If it's hard for you to say, it's really hard for me to be with. Like, you know, another story I have that when I was getting, I had got just recently been divorced and I had a friend who at the time I considered a good friend. Um, and I was talking to her because my son, I don't know, maybe he was like, 14 or 15 and he I caught him with marijuana and I'm super mad and um he was a jerk about it and I was talking to her about like I'm really worried about this behavior and she's like well this is what this she really said to me like very seriously this is what happens when you get divorced and I was like and the fuck and that stuff is like not helpful like don't give stupid advice don't you know make it but like then also just say this is really hard. I have boys too. And I'm really afraid that there might be something I could do to prevent this and whatever it is. Cause I could be with that kind of stuff. But then the other thing is like, like appearing. So I have a lot of people in my life who I don't talk to every day. Cause mostly I talk to Lynn like 500 hours a day. So like, you know, there's not that much room for everybody else, but I have people in my life. You've who I love in the <laughs> but I only talk to them once in a while and I care that they know. So I think like, um, and they would care and it would be weird. Like, so I think, um, but if you're not in the everyday, like inner circle, like be careful about how you enter in. So that's one of the things I want Lynn to talk about is the circles. Cause I found not that to circles. be super helpful. And then can you yeah. also tell the story about when your mom died? Cause I think that's really that's part of what's happening too. So in a community, if you can help manage those kinds of things, those are really helpful things to do. All right. The story about when I went back to work or the story about yeah, um, the outfit? when you went back to work. Oh, the story about when I went back. You should, okay. Now you so, have to tell the outfit story also. Just for I'll tell the outfit story too. Yeah. All right. That one's just for humor. Um, okay. So this idea of the circles is not mine. And I don't remember where I got it from, but I use it all the time. And I, we even alluded to it when we were talking about um, on the feminism podcast. Um, yeah, we so talked about idea, it a lot amongst ourselves when we were talking when Black Lives Matter was happening last yeah, summer. Yeah. As white girls, yeah, like, like where, where do we locate ourselves? It's not in the Where middle. are you on the, yeah. on the circles? Right. So it's this idea that whenever something bad happens, whatever it is, a death or, you know, whatever, 
um, that there's a circle, picture like a bullseye, right? A target. Um, and whoever it's actually happening to, let's just make it someone dies, a, a person yeah. dies. Um, in the middle of the target is that person's spouse, that person's children, maybe that person's parents, the closest ones, right? In the middle. Yeah. And then the next circle out are maybe um, the siblings, the friends, you know, and the next circle out, the close work friends, like you can picture, right? You, it's basically yeah, the circle of, right. the more of, time of how you're spend. Right, of how you're affected, right? And one of the shitty things we do as people, and also in all of this stuff too, like if you do these things, rather than feeling guilty, like just acknowledge your normal, even the thing of looking for how, how is this never going to happen to me? That's a really normal human thing to feel. Yeah, I said um, I used to be really fantastic at that art. Right. And you're never going to stop looking for, you know, I see someone whose child gets hit by a car. My instant, instantly, my brain tries to figure out all the ways that will never happen to me. That's just normal. Right. Um, but just don't open your mouth and say something stupid about it is really what it is. <laughs> um, so anyway, there's all these circles. And the crappiest thing that you can do is move your uh, requests in the wrong direction. So... Um, the, the, the tagline is support in and requests out. Mm. So like if I'm with, say I have a really good friend and her husband dies. Um, when I come to her, I should offer her only support because I'm farther out the rings than she is. Like she's in the center ring. Maybe I'm two rings out. So I should not go to the wife of a man who just died and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe we have to live without Bob. This is so awful because now she has to support me and that's supporting out and that sucks. So what I do is I give support in only. I go to her, oh my gosh, I am so sorry for your loss. I'm here for you. I love you, you know, and whatever she needs, right? Right. And, and the specifics of that aren't as important. And then if I need support, I go out a ring, and right. I wouldn't go to his siblings either, right? Because they're still one ring in from me. Like they're right. maybe in the second ring now. I'm in the third ring. So I go out a ring. Maybe I go to Allie who didn't know this guy. And, and I go to her, oh my gosh, I'm so devastated that Bob died. And then she supports me. And then if she needs support in my grief, then she goes one ring out to her husband who doesn't know that I knew Bob. Right. And goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. And so what we do is like when we try to center ourselves too far in the circle where we don't properly belong. Right. Um, like in this particular situation, if I called you at one o'clock in the morning crying and being like, I just can't believe Riley's friend is missing. That would be such bullshit. Right. Like it would be like, any or if you called John to come to go, this is so hard. I'm so worried. I know you're worried, right? Like, but I can't carry right. your worry and mine at the same time. Right. Exactly. Not right so now, I, you know, right. Right. So I go in. I send support in to John and Allie, and then I go out to Eric or to my friend or to my community to be like, I mean, I even got coached on this today. I, I get coached every week, and I told my coach, I'm like, I feel paralyzed in the face of supporting my friend right now. And she coached me because she's a ring out. I would never come to you and be like, oh, Allie, I just- <laughs> Can you coach me on how to help you? Yeah. Yeah. Can you coach me on my, my best friend? You're my best friend, and my best friend's- sister or daughter is missing. And so I, can you just coach me on how to handle it? Like that's such bullshit. Um, and so really locating yourself in any crisis, that's what we were saying. Like in the black lives matter last summer, one of the really crappy things white people did was they tried to center themselves in the middle of the trauma and it wasn't happening to us. Right. Um, 
and so the appropriate place, and which is why w- you know we said on the feminine pos- feminist podcast, I'm not gonna s- I'm gonna speak out about this, but not as if I'm individually wounded by it because that's centering myself I- where I don't belong, and that's really shitty. It's like taking the stage, but it's also it's like the when you go to your black friends and be like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty about my racism. Like that's bullshit. Go out right. a circle. Right. And then in is or am I friends, like definitely not the right right circle. exactly can you yeah that's the one where you go to your black friend and be like um, could you tell me if I'm racist I really need some help here do you have like so bad I mean I'm laughing but it's like horrible right. like it's so we know people have done it too right we've even been stupid you know not Lynn but me for sure some you know in some of those conversations but well I mean. I'm like you, t- you and I talked about like in that particular conversation, I'm like a decade or more ahead of you, but I did that shitty stuff in the beginning. Um, and you, you know, you learn better and you do better. So not putting yourself, and we're not laughing about racism. We're not laughing about that. We're laughing about the stupid ham handed way um, that people handle. So that's the circles. And then you wanted me to tell two stories. Oh, wait, oh, one more, one, one thing about the circles is like, if you're not in the yeah. middle, like, I mean, like Josie's, one of Josie's teachers called me today. And I was like, look, fucking do not call me. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I mean, it was really like, it was actually annoying. Like actually it was an administrator. I was like a text, an email. Fantastic. But the fact that you called me every time the phone's ringing right now, I have to answer it because I don't know who it is. And if I need to be on the phone. So I answer like unknown calls. I mean, you know, so like, don't call me in the middle of it, but like you can send information in and so locate yourself, like, where is something that, like, make sure you're being a contribution or that, you know, you, you're just like responding in a way that's effective. And then also, like Lynn said, a couple of my friends have asked her, like, is it okay to X? I have this to offer. Can you take it into the circle and see if it's like something to offer? Like, that's brilliant. Less interaction. Yeah. And Lynn could mobilize everybody. If I said, I want everybody to do this now I know how to help. Like she could go take all that into the world. Like those things are really helpful, but locating where you are. And, and also like, if I've reached out to you, like, even if I haven't talked to you in six months, like that, then I'm indicating what kind of communication I want. And that's really helpful. So from in the middle of it, those are my thoughts about that. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that too, because we've had a couple of friends who just instinctively knew um, I don't want to bother Allie, but I know that Lynn is going into the chamber. <laughs> you know, she's entering through the curtain. And even there, I have been, like, not calling you because I don't right. want to wake we, you up. I, we like, haven't talked for three days. And my husband's like, have you talked to Lynn? I mean, we've texted ad, ad nauseum, but I'm like, right. I can't talk. But, like, I mean, even then my husband's like, um, maybe you should call Lynn. It's been a really long time since you've talked to Lynn. I think you need to. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to talk to Lynn. Right. Yeah, and we've had people instinctively, like, come to me and give me things and I hold it like, okay, the next time I, the next <laughs> time I go into the inner chamber, I will bring in these offerings. I mean, I'm saying it in a silly way, but it's really sweet and wonderful. And also like, I can feel those things and it's something I can do. Right. And, and right? you like, bring the time too. Like when I'm talking about how, you know, I woke up crying in the middle of the night and like John was praying with me and like all that, like that you're not like, Oh, by the way, somebody wants to know if they can do X for you. Like it, ha- it gets paced in, in a way that, right now I have the bandwidth for it or now I don't or and so I think that's really helpful and also we've all been through hell it comes in waves right like I've managed in a whole conversation where I haven't cried this whole time 
that might be the first time it's that's happened in an entire, you know, since Saturday night. But so I can right. right now maintain that, but that doesn't mean in five minutes from now I can. And knowing like there's a lot of up and downs and just be with like, you're holding the space to just be with what's happening as it's happening is like, you know, a good place to be, be in. Right. So do you still want yes, me to tell okay, the two stories? Yes, I'll be quiet so you can tell them. Yeah. Okay. Also, no, this is totally an aside, but I keep thinking about how you, this, the thing you said earlier about how I did a dumb thing and laughing to myself. So I feel like you should really tell that story because it just <laughs> amuses me to no end. All right, that one. So normally I turn down your request to tell stories with zero context. <laughs> but today but I'm getting indulged. I will tell that one. It's also very yes, funny. Today you're getting indulged. Yeah. Well, it struck you. It struck you so funny and you were laughing so hard. I thought something else had happened <laughs> on your end. Like the cat had done something weird or whatever. So, um, we were talking earlier and I had to go talk to, we're having a bunch of work done on the house, which I don't want to talk about, but, um, I had to go talk to one of the people who was here to do like a, an estimate of something. And I came back and I told Allie, I'm like, I have to tell you about how stupid I am, this stupid thing. And she said, if you were actually stupid, it would be really like a remarkable thing. And I said, well, it's a combination of fear, laziness, and what was the other one? Procrastination right. or something like that. The sum of which is um, basically stupid. And I, yeah, the, 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 sum, the sum effect of which is the same <laughs> on something stupid. I just love that because you really are. You're, like you're brilliant, uh, genuinely brilliant. And and the way like the rest of us envy but then when you said I did something stupid I was like oh I I definitely need to hear that and then I love the acknowledgement like okay it wasn't stupid it was the combination of which it just still makes me laugh so thank you right yeah well I mean it's more like being a (laughs) okay so um, the other stories (laughs) all right so we were also talking about that um and I don't know if this fits in as like just something that needs to be acknowledged anytime a crisis is happening. If it's something, well, this is actually a place where one of my circles let me down actually. And it's part of Um, what I'm juggling. Like I know that I don't receive information on Facebook. So people I need to know who I either want to have their eyes open or who love me and need to know, like managing the information and not wanting the information I don't want to show up in my space unexpectedly is really something like I don't want to run into a friend of mine in a month who goes, I mean, God forbid, Josie's not home, right? Like, or located. Like, I don't want to run into somebody who's like, how's Josie? And you're like, oh, fuck, right? Like, you don't want right. those kinds yeah. of interactions either. So this is a very good story. Right. So we were talking, I was talking to her because you were saying about you had to text so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And because there's a way you have to kind of get the word out. Um so this is another story. It's so funny. I never talk about my mom dying and I'm going to tell like three stories of it today, but I guess it's just because that's where we are in the conversation. Um, so w- when my mom was sick and dying, um, I lived like states away. She was in Michigan. I was in Maryland. So a states away and she was sick in the hospital and it looked like it might be you know, the last time we weren't sure. So I was going to go home. And so I was working at a place where it was one of those places where I was working at a company, but I was working at a customer site where there was like five other companies, all of us working together. So some of the people I knew, but didn't really know, like worked with them on a daily basis. They didn't work at my same company, that kind of relationship, like work acquaintances. So um, we had let everybody know 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. I'm going home. My mom is in the hospital. I can go home. So we let everybody know that. I went home. And then while I was home, she died. And so I stayed for the funeral, of course, and everything. And then I came home, like, about, or I went back to Maryland about a week later. And before I went, like, when my mom died, I called my boss, who was kind of a jerk, um, and said, would you please let everybody know that my mom died? Because, like, right. These are the people I'm working with. Right. They care about me. They want to know. Please tell everybody. And he did not do that. And so I showed back up at work. And one of the kindest men that I've ever known, I don't even remember his name. That's how, like, little we knew each other. But so kind. Just one of the warmest, kindest, sweetest people I've ever met. He was the first one to greet me because he was one of the kindest people and say, how's your mom doing with all this compassion and love and everything? And I had to say, um, she died. <laughs> and then he was mortified. So I'm hurt. He didn't hurt me on purpose, of course. Like his intention was completely like. I don't think it's not anything. that you like, were hurt. Kind of it's that you had to move into a space that was well, super. It was te- right. It's like this tender space that you weren't prepared to have to be like catapulted into. And he certainly didn't want to do that. No, right. Like most, he was so kind. He's the kind of person who holds space for the fact that I went home to visit my sick mom. Right. And I'll admit, I'm like not the person who holds that space. So he was mortified. I mean, just horrified. And so I quickly grabbed someone that I did know there. And I said, look, tell everybody my mom died. I'm going to leave. And I left so that they could disseminate the information and then I could come back the next day and not have that, that really awkward interaction like 20 more times the very first day back. Um, And so that was like, like that was a loss of the circle let me down because he unintentionally stepped into the wrong circle, right? Um, Someone else close to me should have told him, everyone, right? You know, just so you know, her mom died so that they would behave appropriately. It was really important to him to behave appropriately. So... Um, I mean, I don't really know, like, we could stick a pin into, like, where that fits in this conversation. Like, Yeah, it's, it's just a, a good point, right? Like, it's just a good point because it's part of what needs to happen is, like, and in this day and age, we don't disseminate information. We have communities that are very diverse and different than, you know, they were at a certain time. So we need, there's a way to look at where you're in the circle and hold space for that information and how things are disseminated and also... Yeah, and for- so just it's something yeah, to and be spread managed. Word. Like there's multiple of our mutual friends that I've told so that you don't have to, but so that they know. Right. So the next time you talk to them, they're not like, Hey, what's up? Well, how's it hanging? You know, and you're like, Oh well, Josie's missing. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, great. And now they're having that awkward. Right. Um I don't know, should I tell the outfit story? It's just silly. I, I don't even know where it But I think we should just end on the okay, silly so story. We'll end- so yeah. we're done. Put a pin in. We're done with all the, I mean, this has been a very long and also a heavy conversation, but I feel like this is so good because I, I really feel like next time I'm going through something really hard with someone else, I'm going to listen to what I said now yeah. because it's the best advice I could have given and it'll be useful to me then. Yeah. Bookmark all that stuff. So am I telling this story? Let me see right. if I can. Yeah. Just let's end on all a right. funny well, story. So no, Lynn's well, let me, mom. Let me tell. Um, also, <laughs> I was just okay, cueing the, well, you. The reason... I wasn't going to tell your story. It wouldn't be funny if I <laughs> well, told reason, it, obviously. The reason you brought <laughs> it up, too, was talking about uh, appropriate behavior. What everyone Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Thank you for tying it in. I, I'm yeah, the queen of tying it in. 
So we were talking about appropriate behavior. <laughs> I'm totally buying you a shirt. I'm writing myself a note right <laughs> I'm now. I'm the queen of tying it in. I'll probably get into like all kinds of weird bondage <laughs> uh, news groups after that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was talking to Alec because you were talking about how John was worried about if he could go bowling because he's not behaving. Well, he was adamant that he's not going bowling, but he's just sitting with his friends that are bowling, which he does every single week. Yeah, he's going to go to the bowling alley, but not touch a bowling ball because that might not be appropriate behavior. I mean, I'm not making fun of him. Right. It's too early to try to do have five minutes of levity. Right. So, yeah. we, so we were talking about inappropriateness, and I told you the story. So anyway, so once again, this is a mom-dad story. <laughs> it's a dead mom story. Um, so my mother um, was always perfectly turned out. I mean, she wasn't, like, vain, uh, but she always, like, if she wore sweatpants, they were coordinated sweatpants with matching tennis shoes. Like, she just always looked really cute, and she was always really well put together. It was something she was known for. She was very polished. Um, and, in fact, I didn't tell you this part of the story, but part of the, um, <laughs> part of the reason this even happened was um, one of her last words, it might have been her actual last words, one of her close friends was there with us in the hospital, and my mom was kind of in and out of a coma. And she woke up and she looked at this woman and said, "Polish my nails." And the woman's like, "Okay." And I, I think that might have been. Let's make sure I look good. Well, no, I mean, it, it was so just like cute. a way that they, because her nails were polished. It wasn't that they were never unpolished. Um, she just wanted them to be polished. So we had taken her nail polish off, and then she died. So she died with no nail polish on. So um, my sister and I went to her, her, she had already told us what she wanted to be buried in, <laughs> because she always, she's always picked out her outfits, right, so, you know, um, <laughs> so of yeah, so she's like, I want to be buried in this thing, and this was, the, it was a pantsuit, you know, it's, it was the 90s, so give her a break, it's a pantsuit, and um, she had been trying to match it, the nail polish, she had been trying to match the nail polish for it forever, like, she, it was just this really unusual color, and she couldn't quite match the color, and so my sister and I are like, okay, well, we're going to have to grab a nail polish. And we went into, you know, wherever, CVS or Walgreens or whatever. And we just grabbed, like, this purple looks fine. So we gave it to the, um, you know, the funeral director guy. And we're like, please polish her nails, which he was sweet enough to do. It was a really sweet guy, a good family member or a good family friend. So um, we picked out all her outfit. We made sure her bra and underwear matched because she would have haunted us from behind the grave if <laughs> her in, like, black underwear and a white bra, like, this is how she was, right? This is just who she was. <clears throat> so we're at the funeral home and only the family is there. So it's, I don't know what everybody else's tradition is, but where I grew up, you spend two days like looking at the dead body in the casket and then you have the funeral. Um, so we were at the funeral oh. home and we were waiting for the viewing where people are going to show up and say hi and see my mom. So um, it was just the family. And so my sister and I walk up um, to look at her in the coffin and so I'm looking to make sure she looks perfect right that her makeup is right that her hair is right that her outfit is right um because it was right. really important to her so it was really important to me like that was the first thing I'm thinking of like yes. I was there at her bedside when she died I already said goodbye so now it's more about everyone she's ever known is about to see her so I want to make sure she looks and honoring her right. yeah. yeah um so I'm looking all over and I lean over to my sister and she said at the time, she thought I was about to say, you know, like, oh, we're always going to have each other. I love you so much. Some like little warm sister thing. And what I said was, that nail polish matches exactly. And 
<laughs> because it did, and which was shocking. My mom had been trying to match that for months, and it's the kind of thing that if we had found that match while she was alive, we would have called each other on the phone. Like that would have been worthy of a phone call. Matching that pantsuit, she'd been trying right. forever. And so my sister starts to laugh, and then I start to laugh, and then the family thought we were crying, like our shoulders were shaking, and then they were like, "Those two are laughing," and there was a little bit of there was a little bit of drama about that, but it wasn't. Number one, it was. It really was a celebration of who she was. Um, and I will say that two of her closest girlfriends at the viewing came up to us and said, she finally matched that pantsuit. And we're like, no, we did. We found that nail polish. <laughs> they knew. Like this was, a con this was right. in the conversation, trying to match that pantsuit with nail polish was actually a conversation in our community of women. Um, and so like there was a little, but not only was it honoring who she was, but it was just what was happening, right? Like, I wasn't, I didn't say it to be funny. I wasn't trying to make a joke. I was actually really pleased because if it had clashed. You're enjoying it. Well, not at the only moment, that, right. If it had clashed, we would have made him take it off and put on like a plain clear or something. Like, I was not going to let her <laughs> right. be there with mitch, mismatched purples. Those are terrible. And she never would have worn a mismatched purple. Right. So I was really honoring who she was in that moment, but also it was what was happening. And so it wasn't intended to be funny, but it struck my sister funny. Plus we were sleep deprived like crazy. Um, I was going to say, you've been grieving for months at that point, right? Yeah. right? Going yeah. through hell and dealing with yeah. all the things. Like, again, there's not a right thing to do. Right. And it's still a funny story. Yeah. I mean, another time I'll tell the story about the skunk, which was also part of the funeral thing that when my sister told it to me, I almost wet my pants in the car. So... You can save that one for another time. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> I can't just tell funny story after funny story. Okay. You'll have to be like, this is the next talk about genius. Yeah. Asterisk skunk story here. Yeah. <laughs> How we talk about toxic systems slash when there's a skunk, when there's a skunk. <laughs> um, plus, I don't know. That's one where, like, I tell stories on this podcast, but when I tell stories in person, there's almost one of my friends told me one time that I do an interpretive dance. He was like super interested. It's like whenever you tell the story, it's like an interpretive <laughs> dance. Um, and that one really kind of requires, maybe we'll do a video podcast sometime and I can do the interpretive dance. All right. So um, that sounds fair. Yeah. So we're ending on a light note on a pretty heavy podcast. Um, hopefully nobody, well. Yeah. I mean, thanks for hanging through this topic. Yeah. If you're feeling all judgy about us, you kind of missed the point of what we just talked about for an hour. So <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So we'll pin it here. Um, we're going to put in the show notes the link to um, to uh, the police stuff. Um, and uh, please call the police if you if you see or know her, especially if you're in the Montana area. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. See you next time right. in the ladies' room. In the ladies' room. Ciao. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram.